1: You'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.
2: Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Today, we'll talk about starting a sentence with a conjunction like and, but, and or, and we'll talk about why par, the word par, sometimes seems to be a good thing and sometimes seems to be a bad thing. Before we get started, I have a message for Grant from North Carolina. I played your spousish familect in the January 21st episode, and you should still be able to find that in the feed. Thanks for the voicemail. This next segment is by Neil Whitman. Today, we're asking whether it's okay to begin a sentence with and, but, or, or. The short answer is yes, and just about all modern grammar books and style guides agree. So who is it that keeps saying it's wrong to do it? Well, and, but, and or are the three most common members of a group of words known as coordinating conjunctions. The question about whether it's grammatical to begin a sentence with and, but, or, or is actually the question of whether it's grammatical to begin a sentence with a coordinating conjunction. Here's what some of the big usage guides say on the matter. The one that seems to get quoted the most is the Chicago Manual of Style, which says, quote, There's a widespread belief, one with no historical or grammatical foundation, that it's an error to begin a sentence with a conjunction, such as and, but, or so. In fact, a substantial percentage, often as many as 10% of the sentences in first-rate writing, begin with conjunctions. It's been so for centuries, and even the most conservative grammarians have followed this practice, unquote. Both Garner's Modern English Usage and Fowler's Modern English Usage call this belief a superstition. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary of English Usage says, quote, "...everybody agrees that it's all right to begin a sentence with and," unquote and notes that you can find examples of it all the way back to Old English. But Merriam-Webster's Dictionary of English Usage also observes that, quote, nearly everybody admits to having been taught at some past time that the practice was wrong, unquote. So where did this idea come from? Well, in the story of English in 100 words, David Crystal writes, quote, During the 19th century, some school teachers took against the practice of beginning a sentence with a word like and or but, presumably because they noticed the way young children overused them in their writing. But instead of gently weaning the children away from overuse, they banned the usage altogether generations of children were taught that they should never begin a sentence with a conjunction, and some still are." If you've ever been angry at a teacher who kept your whole class in from recess because two or three of your classmates were misbehaving, you should have a big problem with this rationale for not beginning a sentence with a conjunction. They think you can't handle the freedom of using conjunctions. It's true that you can easily fall into the habit of beginning sentences with coordinating conjunctions. Still, being able to do so occasionally allows you more flexibility and control over the tone of your writing and allows for more variety. For example, listen to the following two sentences. Squiggly turned in his application on time, period, but he forgot to include his application fee. By making the clause about turning in the application a single sentence and beginning the next sentence with but, we have the combination of a sentence final pause and a sudden afterthought delivered in a short burst. Now suppose we join the two clauses with a comma. Squiggly turned in his application on time, but he forgot to include his application fee. Now there's not as much of a pause, so the surprise is lessened. If that's what you want, fine, but if you really want the pause that comes from ending a sentence, what do you do? Well, another possibility is to begin the second sentence with a transition word or phrase with a similar meaning, such as however, like this. Squiggly turned in his application on time, period. However, he forgot to include his application fee. Let's face it, though, the word however doesn't have the same feel as but. It's a slightly higher register. Furthermore, like all transition words and phrases, it requires a pause afterward, which we write as a comma. But also remember, pauses don't always equal commas. It signals that a contrasting thought is on the way and allows the reader to prepare. Again, if that's what you want, fine. But if you want that information to hit harder and faster, the conjunction but is a better choice. And this is an aside from me, Mignon, jumping in the middle of Neil's segment. I often change the word however to but in guest scripts because I think it sounds better, more conversational. Okay, and now we're going back to Neil's writing. Another reason for believing that you can't begin a sentence with a coordinating conjunction is the idea that this turns a sentence into a fragment. This misconception may come from a confusion about what conjunctions are. Conjunctions are traditionally divided into three kinds—coordinating, correlative, and subordinating. It's only that last kind that will turn a clause into a fragment. In fact, coordinating and correlative conjunctions are different enough from subordinating conjunctions that they should probably not all be called conjunctions, but that's a topic for another episode. So how can you make sure you're using a coordinating conjunction and not a subordinating conjunction? Well, the easiest way is to just memorize the coordinating conjunctions. Of course, you probably know about and, but, and or, because they're the most common and the most versatile. In addition to joining clauses, they can join almost any other kind of word or phrase. Another coordinating conjunction that can join many kinds of words and phrases is yet. In addition to these four, there are a few less versatile conjunctions that can only join clauses for, nor, and so. And actually, if you speak British English, you might also use so to join verbs and verb phrases, but in American English, it sounds funny when you do that. Many grammar sources, including the book Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing, keep track of the coordinating conjunctions by using the mnemonic word FANBOYS, which stands for for and nor but or yet so. If you listen to episode 366 from long, long ago, you may remember that the word slash has been evolving into a coordinating conjunction too, but that's still far from entering the list of coordinating conjunctions in standard English. Subordinating conjunctions include words such as if, because, although, when, and many others. Unlike coordinating conjunctions, which can make a complete sentence by combining with two clauses or just one clause, subordinating conjunctions definitely need two. For example, because I wasn't happy is a fragment because it's combined with only one clause, I wasn't happy. On the other hand, I switched jobs because I wasn't happy is a complete sentence with because joining two clauses, I switched jobs and I wasn't happy. One quick and dirty tip for distinguishing subordinating conjunctions from coordinating conjunctions is this. A coordinating conjunction has to come between the clauses it connects, but a subordinating conjunction can come before both of them. For example, you can say, because I wasn't happy, I switched jobs, with because coming before the first of the two clauses. That means because is a subordinating conjunction— On the other hand, it's nonsense to say, but Squiggly forgot to include his application fee, he turned in his application on time. The but has to come between the clauses, which tells us that it's a coordinating conjunction. So as long as you know how to avoid accidental sentence fragments, feel free to begin sentences with a coordinating conjunction. But don't overdo it, or it might be disconcerting to your audience. And we wouldn't want that, would we? That segment was by Neil Whitman, PhD, an independent writer and consultant specializing in language and grammar, and a member of the Reynoldsburg, Ohio School Board. You can find him at literalminded.wordpress.com. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages, and you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally, first with words, then the phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, You'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com slash grammar. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash grammar today.
3: If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for
2: help, they'll just think I'm weak.
3: Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support any time you don't have to hide how you feel
0: walmart plus members save on meeting up with friends
2: One of our listeners asked us this week about the term subpar. Hey, Grammar Girl.
3: My name is Carrie Ann Sadlin, and I'm from Phoenix, Arizona. The dating scene here consists of guys who like to hike, dirt bike, and of course, golf. And I, being the punny person I am, tried to work some golf puns into conversation. This included taking a swing at the phrase subpar. Subpar. I may have to work on my approach because I was then told that subpar in a game of golf would mean someone performed very well, as both at-par and under-par are ideal scores. For some reason, I was under the impression that subpar originated from lingo on the green, but perhaps I dropped the ball. I was hoping this story could tee off a discussion on the origins of subpar, as well as stir up some more golf puns so I can up my game and score a hole-in-one. I absolutely love your podcast and am enjoying your content on Instagram and TikTok as well. Please continue to spread the knowledge on writing, history, rules, and cool stuff. Bye.
2: Thanks, Carrie. We will save golf idioms for another day, but we have the scoop for you on par and subpar. The first thing to know is that par comes from classical Latin, where it meant equal or equality. Over time, it came to have a specific meaning in economics. It refers to the value of one country's currency in relation to another. In terms of U.S. currency, we could say that PAR is 1 U.S. dollar for 1.3 Singapore dollars, or that PAR is 1 U.S. dollar for 72 Indian rupees. PAR also has a meaning on the stock exchange. It refers to the face value of a share as distinct from its market value. If a share is priced above the face value, it's said to be above PAR. If it's smack dab at face value, it's at par, and if it's on sale below face value, it's below par. Par also has a general meaning outside of economics. It refers to anything that's on the same level as something else. If your mom is a great cook, you could say that her cooking is on par with that of any famous chef. If you're a particularly proud parent, you might say that your daughter's pitching is on par with that of any major league baseball player. In contrast, if her favorite baseball team lost, you could say they were not quite on par with their opponents that night. You might even say their hitting was subpar. In other words, worse than usual. So far, we've talked about things that are under par being bad. And this leads us back to Carrie's question. Because par has another meaning related to golf. And in that context, subpar is good. You see, in golf, par is the number of strokes that an expert player needs to complete a game. Typical golf courses have a par value of 72. That's made up of 4 par 3 holes, 10 par 4 holes, and 4 par 5 holes. If you do the math, it means that a really good golfer should have to hit the ball 72 times to get it in all 18 holes and complete the course. Now, a great golfer can do even better. When Tiger Woods won the Masters Tournament in 2019, one of golf's Big Four tournaments, he finished the final round 2 under par and the whole tournament 13 under par. In other words, it took him 13 fewer strokes to finish the tournament than even the best golfers are expected to do. Back in 1997, he had set the record for the lowest on-par score ever at the Masters, finishing 18 under par. His rival, Dustin Johnson, broke that record in 2020, finishing the tournament at 20 under par. I'm not a golf fan, but still, wow. In the olden days, people used to refer to this average as being the par of the green. Today, we talk about a certain number of strokes being par for the course. And that term has extended its meaning outside of golf to mean something that's normal or expected in any given circumstances. You might say that kids looking at their phones in class is par for the course these days, or that people happily paying four or five dollars for a cup of coffee has become par for the course. Like it or not, it's what we've come to expect. So that's your guidance for today. In the game of golf, being subpar is good. In all other parts of life, it's bad. And weird variations in our language like this? Well, if you listen to this podcast, you'll know by now that it's par for the course. That segment was written by Samantha Enslin, who runs Dragonfly Editorial. You can find her at dragonflyeditorial.com or on Twitter as dragonflyedit. Finally, I have a familect story from Karina. Hi, Grandma Girl.
1: This is Karina from Washington, and I have a familect story. Um, So in my family, um, there's... Sadly, a tendency to lose our memory, especially as we age and just um, be a little bit forgetful. And so my aunt and cousin Jesse were uh, talking about this. He was teasing her about forgetting something. And um, he was talking about her moving into a nursing home when she's older and forgetting where her pudding went all the time. And so it kind of just became a joke. Um, Whenever she would have a brain fart, he would say, where's my pudding? And now we just um, constantly use the word pudding to basically mean memory. So we will, you know, when we forget something, we'll be like, oh, my poor pudding or something like that. So we just tease each other about that. But Um, Yeah, that's my family. So thank you so much for the podcast. Um, It's really helpful. I'm a teacher and a proofreader, so it's especially helpful for me. So keep it up. All right. Bye.
2: Thanks, Karina. I hope I never forget where I put my pudding. If you want to call with your family word story, you can leave a voicemail at 833214GIRL, and I might play it on the show. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. You can find articles that go with each podcast segment at my website, quickanddirtytips.com. And if you could do me a favor, if you listen on Spotify, I'd really appreciate it. We recently realized we were in the wrong category there and we got it straightened out, but now we could use some help in the algorithm. So if you listen there, be sure you've clicked follow, that you're actually following the show because that'll help us get more visibility, which will help other people find us too. So thanks. And thanks to my producer, Nathan Sams. That's all. Thanks for listening.
0: Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends.